Hello, and welcome to your favorite true crime podcast. I'm your host, Gavin Fish. You can find me on my YouTube channel, Gavin Fish True Crime, or visit gavinfish.com. In this episode, I'm sharing a conversation I had with Crimepedia hosts, Cherry and Morgan. You can find them at crimepediapodcast.com or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Enjoy. How did you guys meet and from across the world decide to do a podcast together? <laughs> we met in Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. That was, a, that was the first time we actually met in person was in Vegas when For we went to CrimeCon. So How long this, this year. This year. Well, no. <laughs> that's the first wait, time wait, we, wait. We, we physically met. That's the first time we physically met was this, this CrimeCon in April. We've been, do- we've been doing the podcast together for two years. <laughs> well, okay. So okay. how did that happen? <laughs> okay. So I guess, let me, I'll start, I'll start the story. So before Crimepedia, I had another little podcast. It actually started on Discord. There was like a Discord mm. live show that, that, that moved on to becoming a podcast called Captain and Morgan. So it was myself and my good friend, Captain from True Crime Garage. Who uh, we've known each other now for 155 years. 155 years. So we went to school together, and uh, so we did a we did a podcast called Catherine Morgan, which was that's hilarious, by the way. Um, oh, it was it, funny. it was a perfect it was a perfect it was, name. It was, it was very funny. Name. Yeah, it was funny. Uh, how how would you describe the show? It was literally they would talk about school and stuff that they got up to when they were kids, and it's very funny because mostly Morgan would just be saying yes and no. And captain would literally uh-huh, start uh-huh, yeah, on one uh-huh. subject and it would go all the way around. And then eventually an hour and a half later, they would reasonably get close to where they started. Um, and so it was fun. It was, it was like a community of true crime garage, um, not fans, but people that just liked the show. And yeah. so it was, it was a way to learn more about, about um, captain and that kind of stuff and to know more about him as a person rather than the actual show itself. And of okay. course, Morgan and him did it together. And so I yeah. was part of that discord group. And then I did their, I voiced, I used to work in the radio and I, I voiced their outro for, for the show. Yeah. yeah you got the perfect voice for radio, man. <laughs> Not the face. It's the voice. For radio. No, the face is lovely. But the voice, holy crap. It's amazing. Oh, bless yeah. you. Thank you. So yeah, now, I did their outro. Cherry used to wake up at, 2 a.m. her time yeah. to listen to it. It would be like, uh, we would record like on a Monday, maybe. Or yeah. I think it was every Monday, and we would do it in the evening, like, you know, U.S. time. And she would wake up at 2 a.m. when we did on Discord, because it would be live. Mm. So she would she would wake up and listen to it. And it was actually pretty fun. because It, it was, was fun, yeah. It was interactive, because, because yeah. it was on Discord. Yeah. We had everyone that was listening was like asking questions or making yeah. comments as we're doing the show. And so that's how we, I mean, so that's how we first met. Yeah. Um, but then when we, I don't know, how long do you, I think we did that, that show for maybe about a year, I think Yeah, it was. maybe, yeah. Maybe a year, year and a half. And we got to a point where it, the one thing about, about Captain, everyone knows, you know, he's on True Crime Garage and he does the music, but he does, he, this guy is like, he can't say no to anything. He's, so he's super constantly, busy. Constantly yeah. busy. So yeah. we got to a point where it's like, I could just, this is too much. I'm doing too much stuff. And I'm like, great. You know, we don't have to do the show anymore. You know, mm-hmm. we can kind of take a break or whatever. Well, and, did you end up missing it? Like once you stopped, did you end up missing it? Um, Doing captain that show a little bit, a yeah. little bit. But I stood in, didn't I? I stood in. For you, you did. 
the last three did. episodes yeah. was, was still Captain Morgan, but Cherry was Captain. came on and was she was playing <laughs> the Captain part. Yeah. But by that point, I think we like we decided let's talk about true crime. Yeah. Because at the time, Cherry had started her own true crime podcast. What was that called? It was called Crime Cabinet. Uh, and okay, so did you kind of drop that when you yeah when you yeah. went to Crimepedia? Yeah, so I started Crime Cabinet on my own, and it's it's okay on your own, but you can't. There's no sort of kind of interaction. You can't mm-hmm. discuss stuff by yourself. <laughs> you just kind of read it, and that's fine. It was fun, but then when we started talking about it, and we would discuss cases off air anyway and we'd talk about cases and like what do you think about this and the brian schaefer case that we both were really really interested in mm-hmm. um we we were then like do you know what we should maybe we should do a show and he's like well stand in like come and stand in for captain we'll do a true crime case so i said okay cool so we did and then after that we were like do you know what maybe we should just start our own and so that's mm-hmm. what we did we just started our own and it just went from there really so how long have you been doing this two when two would it years? be two years in august or yeah two years, two years in, in august yeah two years in august yeah August is my anniversary for being in. Hey, yeah. anniversary buddies. Yeah. I, well, and that leads me into a segue here. Why? Why do we as people, why do we all, why are we all fascinated with what oh. we collectively call true crime? Um, multiple Because I was never a true crime fan no, before yeah. August. Oh, really? Whatever it was, 2020. But yeah. let me ask you a question. Yeah. Were, you, were, you, have you been, were you a fan of puzzles? Yeah, that's the yeah. thing. Yeah. So not not um not traditionally, I'm a software engineer. And oh, so okay. the whole um the whole troubleshooting process yep. as you're developing yeah. stuff yep. yeah. uh, is a puzzle. And it I is. always enjoyed the troubleshooting part of it. Yeah. I work in analytics. So my job, I'm a I'm a data a- analyst. And my job is to figure analyze, out these yeah. analyze these numbers, figuring out these puzzles. I think so that's I think, what I think that's what all true crime sort of podcasters and, and investigators. I think that's what that puts us all together. They're always the sort of people that like to figure out stuff. You like a, a clear cut finished. I don't like all these bits. I like to know what happened, why it happened, how it happened, where it happened. I like it all tightly sewn up and done. And I think that's probably what, that's probably what we all have in common is that we all, we all like a puzzle and we all like to put things right. So yeah. does that, uh... I mean, does that apply to listeners too? Because there are way yeah. more people who listen than people who create, right? Yeah, I, I think, think so. so. I think so. And but I think I think that's that's a big part of it. I think people like people like answers. People like things wrapped up in a mm. neatly tight tight book. Like I'm the type of person. Like if I'm watching a movie or a television program that comes to an end, you know, I'm never satisfied because I want. I'm like. <laughs> Well, what happens next? What's what's the next part of the story? Mm. And I think a lot of people with true crime is not only is it a puzzle, but there's that element of, well, well, now what? What's next? How, you know, especially when you're talking about like serial killers or um, I think a, a good example would be um, like the Golden State Killer, right? So we know what crimes he committed, but I think there's a part of people who are like, well, what did he do after this last crime? Do you guys know that I lived in that neighborhood? No, no. way. I grew huh. up in that neighborhood. Oh, oh. wow. Like that's my um my folks don't live in that same house. Oh wait, didn't you like cycle past his house? Yeah, I, like I as remember. A kid. I remember this. We had this conversation with you at CrimeCon. Yeah, and he told me about it. Yeah, he's one of the guys that you just didn't you hoped he wasn't outside. 
Because he was yeah. like, oh, he those was are cranky. the worst guys. Yeah. Yeah. And and the whole time, like, I think he was done with what he was doing by the time we moved to California. We moved to California in 84. Mm. And um, so I think he was more, done. He, he had one more after. He had one one more in 86. Ah, okay. The Golden State Killer is Morgan's case. You know, that one case that gets under your skin that yeah. you just yeah. can't, you can't, that's his, it's his case. That's crazy though. How mad is that that you like cycle past his house? I know. Like I had friends who lived, lived down there and I would. I would ride down there. In fact, at CrimeCon there in London, it was really cool that I got to introduce Paul Holes because I was like, hey. Yeah, of course. I know. I know yeah. about. Yeah, crazy. But in my my in-laws, they like sac- the Sacramento Valley, the east area, the farther east you go, the nicer it is. Mm. Right? So, so like saying the east area to – to, I don't know, whatever city to Los Angeles, it, it gets swanky, man. It like, <laughs> it, it's like a Beverly Hills or I, I don't so, know. So an wow. area that this stuff does not happen. It's an area where it doesn't happen. Yeah. And my, my mother-in-law was like, she was a teenager. Then she was a young mother. She was like, mm-hmm. she was the perfect avatar of those, oh, wow. of those victims. It was a real terrorization yeah. Of the entire East area. And that, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't expect that sort of thing. And you wouldn't expect them to live in Citrus Heights, especially that yeah. part of Citrus Heights. That, that part of Citrus Heights is right where like three little towns come together. Like the Sacramento Valley doesn't, it, it, there are no borders between all these different towns, right? So I grew up in Orangevale, but I could spit on Citrus Heights from my mm. front yard, you know, it was mm-hmm. like right there. And then he was right where Orangevale, Citrus Heights, and Roseville came together. It was just a weird spot for somebody like that to be living. No, it's crazy, don't... isn't it? That's crazy. Yeah. Oh, man. That is so, scary. It was a scary case. Very no, terrifying. But that's your case, Morgan? That is yeah. your case. I, this is how terrifying. This, I, the first time I heard about this case, and I learned about him, I was scared to like walk past windows at night, like downstairs windows, because I was sure that this guy would know that now that I know about his case and I know that he's out there, he's going to be looking through my window in Ohio. He's going to come to Ohio, look through my window and scare the shit out of me. So I would like not like purposely like walk like I, I'm not looking out this window because this dude's going to be there. That's mad. Isn't that funny? The effect that that sort yeah. of stuff can have on somebody. Right. Yeah. Ugh, that's yeah. So that was the first case that I would say my, so what happened with me is uh, my buddy Rick was like, Hey, there are all these people that are making money on YouTube and they're not smarter or dumber than us. Right. They're just <laughs> regular people. Yep. Why don't we do a YouTube channel? And I was like, Oh, that's a good idea. What should we do? Should we be makers? You know, should we, I was throwing out all these ideas and he's like, let's do true crime. Like that's not, that's not even a niche, man. Come on. Let's think of something <laughs> better than that. No, no, no. Let's try it. Have you seen gone in the dark that that was I'll be gone in the dark. Yeah, that yeah. Was, the HBO thing had yeah. just come out, and I was like, mm. "No, I haven't seen that." I watched it. I then read the book, and I oh was my god, just, the book isn't the book amazing? Yeah, it was nuts. Absolutely amazing book. Yeah. Ah, so I've been listening to your show pretty much since CrimeCon. I've been, uh, and over the last few days, I've listened to like four episodes. Mm-hmm. I want to ask you. Cause I wasn't really satisfied with the, um, <laughs> Oh, now I'm blanking on her name. It was from 1907. Oh, oh. yeah, <laughs> I know. 
<laughs> uh, Why am I blanking on her name the, right the now? The, the, the lady who was the, yes. the husband was away and she was working as a husband was working on a train. She was and working as a prostitute. Right. Yeah, that's right. I remember. And and that was guy, a frustrating case for me. That was a really frustrating case because I feel like they just forgot about it. I, th- I feel like they just, that was it. It was the postcard murder. Um, and there were so many things in that that I don't think they looked into properly. I mean, she was found like it was a horrific murder. And unfortunately, we do go into detail of, if, you know, if you know what, what happens to her. But her actual murder was horrific. Her, her injuries yeah. were awful. And immediately everybody went to the husband. But it wasn't the husband um, because he had an alibi. He was actually on the catering cart of this train at the time. And there was witnesses to that. But there's this postcard that they find in her house, which has got like this really weird message on it saying like, um, come and meet me or something. Um, But she loved to go to the local pubs and she loved to socialize with people. And there's this guy that they think went to meet her, but he hasn't, he was actually initially arrested for her murder and tried for her murder, but actually they didn't have enough evidence. So there was nothing to say that he actually had anything to do with it. It was, it's bizarre, completely bizarre case. One guy was actually tried for it yeah. and uh, was fa- he was acquitted. Yeah. Once they acquitted him, that was the end. That that's was it. it. Finished. Done. That was it. No more. Oh well. Can't. Can't. That's it. That's right. And he well, went on to live crazy. a really happy, happy life, and and you know had a family and stuff. Well, and I would be happy life. too if I got away with murder. Wait, I don't think he did it though. I don't Morgan think he thinks did. he did. He oh, thinks no, he did. I don't think did. he did. I don't think he did. He absolutely <laughs> did. <laughs> well listen hey that guy was like politically connected though right wasn't yeah. he like uh yeah he was sir whomever sir richard or sir something whatever. like that yeah I, I don't think it was him what makes you think that he, it was somebody else what was it about that that made you think it wasn't him because i think he there was no evidence whatsoever of him having any forensic evidence on him at all that he was like no one reports seeing him covered in blood i mean to 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 carry out the injuries that she sustained that that person would have been would have been covered in blood unless they got changed in the room and then left well there was yeah there was a wasn't there like a wash basin full of blood yeah, yeah. so there, like yeah there was a bloody there was water a, yeah there was yeah there was yeah the basin in the in the room was full okay of blood. so i'm making i'm making morgan's case here okay keep you going are. Uh-huh. Was there a fireplace that he could burn clothes? Did she leave live with a man who had men's clothing that he could put on? Yes. <laughs> I just don't think it was him. I think listening to his character and listening to his family talk about him. Well, and you were through- you didn't listen to anything because from 1907. <laughs> yeah. No. So okay. So anything. no. So reading. Okay. So <laughs> okay, reading. No, the transcripts reading are all available. The trans- no, they are. They, they are. are. Like every word for word. Is, How amazing yeah. is that? Yeah. The whole transcripts of the whole case is available online on the old Bailey's website. It's that mad. Is so cool. Reading through it was just amazing. It tells you word for word all of the car- all of the sister, the brother-in-law, all of the people that were in- interviewed in this case. Everything they said is word for word transcript. You can actually see the original transcripts. If somebody screenshotted every single page, it's amazing. So, so as you're like reading those transcripts in your mind, are you are you thinking of like barristers and fancy wigs and robes <laughs> standing in front of a bar? Yeah, the whole thing, right? Yeah. That's what I, as yeah. you were describing that. I was like, shut up. 
Yeah. That is the coolest thing. It is so cool. And like the language that they used back then as well is very interesting. I love that old language that they use. And so, yeah, it was really interesting to read through it all and to see how the case, and I don't think they had a case against him. There's there's not a lot really that can pinpoint him there. Okay. Without, re- without reasonable doubt. There's, that you can't. You can't a hundred no, but the, the his ex girlfriend said it was his handwriting. Nobody else did. Okay, it was his ex girlfriend who. Okay, he did try and pay off to say that she was with her. But... <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> there's just but, that. Well, I'm wondering what that. the what the difference in the law was. I mean, were they going to that uh, to that level? Did they only need yeah. to establish beyond reasonable doubt? Was it I th- very yeah, similar I th- to the way it is now? I think so. I think it's just they had to just, but then it's very strange because the judge back then as well, judges would never force their own opinion on stuff. And in the end, the judge looked at it and was like, this is completely rubbish. And this guy's got nothing to do with this. Like he, he, you can't, you can't find him guilty. Yeah. I told the, the jury. You, we told the jury. You, you can't you find, him, find guilty. him. You can't find him guilty because there's not enough evidence, which they didn't usually do. And so in the end, it was the judge that said this, this, there's enough. That's enough. It's a fascinating case. Yeah, I love the old cases. They You'd fascinate me. I do. I love the old cases. But I had to up. I had to. I had to one up you with old cases. <laughs> yeah, you did. What'd you do? I th- was it on? It might have been that same episode. Um, so at the oh, end of each with episode, the Virgin Mary statue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> was that that episode? It was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was that episode. Yeah, it was. Well, I forget yeah. what year it was. What was it like? Like it was like 805 AD. Oh, yeah. Or yeah, something ridiculous. Yeah. 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 That's right. The queen, wasn't it? The statue fell on us. <laughs> the uh her. yeah, the uh the governor's wife. The governor's wife yeah. as, as she was praying. That's right. Yeah. The statue fell on her and killed her. And so they buried the statue because they didn't want to they put the statue it. on trial, though. Yeah. That was, and yeah. It was found, the, found the statue <laughs> guilty of murder. Yeah. It was the first recorded use of a of of, of a jury of peer of of peers. Yeah. Quote unquote peers. Yeah. First, how do you find peers of the Virgin Mary though, really? I know well, they are. Exactly. You have to go look, you have to go to St. Paul's and grab the apostles <laughs> off the cathedral, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 Have them all sitting in the jury bench. Hey, it's I want to talk a little bit about uh speaking of St. Paul's about CrimeCon UK. Yeah. Mm. Were you, uh, tell me tell everybody the inside track on what happened at CrimeCon UK. <laughs> Well, okay, so it got to, <laughs> you, so you mean the the problems that we had? Yeah, yeah. Okay, it's not so Nancy's we, fault. It's not. No, the, no, no, no. It's not the organizers' fault at all. We we finished our first day, didn't we? It was a Saturday. We finished our first day. Um, mm-hmm. everyone was arranging to meet up to go out and and do their thing, and the VIP yeah. dinner was going ahead and stuff. And so we all went up to our rooms to get changed, yeah. well, and then all of a sudden the fire well, alarm goes off. Well, before that, we that Saturday, we you didn't even touch the fact that there was no. Air oh yeah, we were melting, weren't we? We were melting. There was, there was no, no air conditioning, conditioning in the place, so we're already no. hot and disgusting. And we're like, okay, gotta yeah. get out of here. Yeah, it was so sticky, and like you've got this huge hotel and hundreds of people in at CrimeCon, and there was no air conditioning, so everyone was really sticky and horrible. So we went up to get changed to go out, and all of a sudden the fire alarm goes off. So I was on the sixth floor. I think what floor were you on? I was on the first. Oh, you were on, on the first. So what I, were you on? I still had water when oh, a lot of okay. other people didn't. Yeah, I did. I was on third. I was on the third. Okay, so water. so we were first, third, and sixth. So I was on the top floor. So the alarm went off and then stopped. So I thought, oh, maybe it's like a, a, a test or a fake one. So mm-hmm. I carried on, went to turn the electric on, and nothing happened. So I thought, oh, maybe it needs to reset. So um, I went, took the card out because you have the card that slot. I didn't, you don't have it in America, but to get your um, electric working in your room, you have to put your key card into the slot and then it works. Right. Um, 
And so I tried that and like, no, it doesn't work. So I thought, oh, great. This is ridiculous. Went into the bathroom. I thought, I'll just have a shower. No water. So I thought, this is really weird. So then I thought, well, the best thing to do would be to close the curtains because it's so hot in the room. There's no air conditioning. As I went to close the curtains, everybody's outside. And I was like, oh, maybe it is a real fire. So as I'm coming down the stairs, there's like I could smell smoke. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, there's no one around. All the corridors are pitch black. Were you um, in so, the main hotel building or were you yeah. in like the annex? With no, me? I was in the main one. Okay. And so then as I came down the stairs, I could smell it. And so I came out of like a side door and then Morgan rang me. He's like, where are you? Are you okay? And I was like, yeah, where are you? And he's like, there's fire. There's like smoke coming out the back of the building. And I was like, oh my God, I can smell it. So then we were all evacuated. Um, and then we didn't get back into like half eight that evening, did we? And then... Mm-mm. It was just no. carnage, carnage from there on. No yeah. electricity, no water, nothing, nothing. No air conditioning. No, yeah. No, yeah. It was, it was hot. It was dark. And it was literally everyone oh. was in the foyer trying to charge their phones because we'd been working all day and our mm-hmm. phones were all nearly dead. So there was like, how many hundred, there was hundreds of people weren't there in the foyer. Oh, it, it was packed. It was crazy. It was, and it got, we, we managed to get a slot, didn't we, next to one of the, um, electric points so we could both charge our phones i said i'm just yeah. gonna charge it up it was like half one in the morning so i'm gonna charge it up to like 60 percent. i'm gonna go up to bed because i'm gonna try and and like literally trying to get up to the sixth floor in the pitch black and the stairwell i'm thinking oh god please don't get murdered please don't get murdered please don't get murdered <laughs> no i honestly was like you know i'm gonna go to sleep yeah and i'll wake up in the morning and it'll all it'll be, be okay. fine yeah yeah not no. so much you know no. while were you out in in the front corner of the hotel where they like everybody was gathering outside while the fire brigade yeah. was all inside and everything? Yeah. Yeah. So I was there, then I was like, I'm gonna go grab a burger. So I went over to five guys and I grabbed a burger. And then I went back and I came down the alleyway instead of the front. And everybody was still over there. So I was like, I'm just going to go in the hotel. And when I went in, there was a group of firefighters and I just kind of joined in. Hey guys, how's it going? And for like 45 minutes, I stood there as they were figuring out what was going on. You know, oh, wow. I felt like I was an embedded reporter. Like I, I had the inside <laughs> scoop. That's brilliant. You got away with that. That's great. That was pretty we fun. ended up, we ended up going to the pub. We were like, okay, yeah. we might as well just go to the pub. So we ended up all going down to the pub and then we went and got some um, food and then took it back to the pub and sat outside the pub eating food. So until we were allowed back in the hotel, it was yeah, crazy. That's, that's pretty nuts. And then no electricity the next day either. I mean, no. when did no. it finally come on? Uh, 6.30, like 6.30 PM. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. The following Sunday. day. It was, yeah. it was like an entire day. Yeah, yes. and then it went off again, didn't it? Went off, then it yeah. went off again, and then it went back on again Monday morning, I think, properly, fully, fully. At so, some point, I don't know. It when. was crazy. I really felt bad time. for Nancy and all of her crew because they like they had to pick up the. They actually ended up putting on a pretty good show that day. They did. They were the ones that got all the generators in. They were the ones that got all the lighting in. It wasn't the hotel that did that. That was Nancy and the team. They got all of that in so that they could still put CrimeCon on. And despite the fact that it was hot, I think they did really, really well. They did. Yeah. Really good. And I feel really bad for her because I know the work that's gone into CrimeCon and I know how much she's, she's put into this and how much work that, has happened to get this to the way it was. And it was brilliant. It was really good. But I think had it that not have happened, it would have been even better because the interactive stuff would have been able to go ahead. So like your crime scene investigation, all that kind of stuff would have been able to go ahead properly. So I think next year's Crime Con is going to be in a different um, hotel. I think it will be better. I think yeah, it will be I, brilliant. I definitely want to go. I know. Are yeah. you guys going to come to the one in the US? 
Um, Morgan's coming to the US right. one. Yeah, I'm coming to the next US one. Is that in Orlando? Is that where it is? Yeah, yeah you're Orlando, yep. aren't you, next year? Yeah, I should probably reach out and, and let them know that I'm interested in coming. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm a total noob in true crime. So I was like, I, I didn't even occur to me. I'd been going for like a year. And I was like, you know, there's probably some kind of organization, some side <laughs> association, some kind of trade show. And I reached out and they're like, so we're booked up, but um, call the UK. I was like, I'd rather go to the UK than freaking <laughs> Vegas any day of the week. <laughs> I like, I did, I do like the the British crime con. I do really like yeah. it. Yeah. Dude, I, I just don't know. Like I'm, if people are listening to this, they're going to be really mad at me if they love Vegas, because I think Las Vegas smells Mm-hmm. Like vomit and farts everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah. It's the tackiest, grossest right. place. And for some reason, everybody wants to do their thing there. So I, no. I'm glad they're doing it out of Las Vegas this year. I don't think it's a it's a good representation of the US. <laughs> Put it that it's way. Not, <laughs> I don't know. It's a good representation <laughs> of some parts of the US. <laughs> 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 yeah i, I like, don't know i i didn't enjoy i didn't enjoy no. vegas not that i didn't enjoy crime con but i didn't enjoy vegas so you much. know what's really funny is once you leave the strip and downtown area you yeah. go out into the most beautiful areas yeah you know grand canyon's only a couple hours away yeah mm-hmm. yeah you can go out into red rock canyon you can do a lot of fun stuff but mm. inside vegas no gracias it's no not. no no not in my oh, jam. There you go. Okay, no. so I totally sidetracked us. You guys started Crimepedia out Crimepedia. of Captain and Morgan. That's yep. correct. Yep. All right. Tell me more. Like, what has been? You guys are obviously do you? You're obviously successful at it. People listen to it, right? I I've I looked so. at your stats. You're doing great. What is it about your show you think people are coming to listen to? I think. I think it's because a lot of the cases that I do, um, our American listeners and our listeners abroad won't really have heard of. And the way that we, um, the way that our law enforcement investigates stuff is very different to the way you guys investigate stuff. So for me and for the English listeners, it's really interesting to see the way that the law works over there. And a lot of the case, we try and concentrate on cases that aren't mainstream ones we haven't like for instance like delphi a very interesting case for both of us that we definitely want to be solved but we don't feel that we could bring anything to that case there's nothing that we could help with on that there's so many people have covered it and so many people have added like you know looked into it and and been investigating it and it's not something that i feel that i've got anything to add to or help with so Mm -hmm. we try and cover cases that aren't getting any voices they're not getting any media they've been forgotten about particularly that's why i like to do the old cases because i feel bad that these people have been murdered or they're missing and nothing is happening anymore just purely because they're old cases and so i think when as an english listener when i listen to morgan's cases because a lot of the time i don't actually know what he's going to do we we don't i maybe would discuss something about it to start with but not so the format is one of you each week tells the yeah. other the story that you've researched, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And so occasionally we'll do it where we've both researched something because it's a massive case and we've both been been into it. If it's a, like a three or four part, it's something that maybe we've both looked at. But usually I would do a case that he knows nothing about. So his reactions at the time are firsthand reactions and the same the other way around. He'll do, he'll do next week, he'll do his case and it'll be a new case to me. So we still get our own true crime fix 
every other week, which is yeah. which is still fun. Yeah. So when what? she's doing her case and I, I'm getting furious and it's coming out, it's that's my real reaction. Yeah. I am furious. <laughs> I think a lot of times when when you have like, you know, two person podcasts, I'm not gonna name any of you know specific one. You you might know what I'm talking about, but we don't we don't script these out. So we don't have a okay, Morgan, now at this point you need to gasp and say, Oh my God, what? Mm-hmm. Are you crazy? No. So it's our real reaction. So we like to imagine as we're doing this, my reaction to Cherry's case and Cherry's reactions to my cases or the questions that we have for each other are what should be what the listener is thinking at the same time, hypothetically, right? Mm-hmm. So so a lot of times when you listen to true crime podcasts, you have these questions in your head and they never get answered. But hopefully the way we're doing it and the way we're presenting it, when I'm asking questions to Cherry, she's asking me questions. Hopefully, those are the questions that the listener at home are, are having as well. So those questions are getting answered. Morgan, are most of your cases in the States and Cherry, yours in the UK? Or do you guys yeah. mix it up? Yeah, well, I do. Usually, we've done, you've done a couple in like um, Germany, haven't you? We've done a couple of European ones. Um, but yeah, usually, I'm usually mostly over here, UK-based ones, and he's usually stateside ones. So what's the difference in the way law enforcement investigates? You mentioned that, Cherry the the difference between the US investigations and the UK investigations I think it's the obviously the, the grading straight away the gradings of murder you guys have um your degrees of murder whereas we don't have that we literally just have murder and then we have um uh what do we call it I can't even think what we call it now um you know where where it's um it's not your fault basically this person is as like- manslaughter or manslaughter that's like that? it yeah so you got murder and then you got manslaughter that's it for us mm-hmm. there's no degrees of killing and i think in the us that's a really good system to have that you have degrees of killing people so you've got your first degree you've got your second degree that kind of thing um that's a, a huge difference which i think we would benefit from over here the the other thing that i find really crazy is that your police officers can lie in interrogations we can't lie over here so we can't say, oh yeah, your your co you know your cohort person next door is. Did I totally lost Cherry? Did you oh, lose no, Cherry? I lost her. Oh man, <laughs> I really wanted to hear that part. It's she'll come back to them. us. She'll come back and get them. To, uh, oh, oh, there you are. There you are. There you are. You're back. No, oh. we lost you on. Uh, you guys can't lie. Your police officers can't oh, lie. Okay. I so, had yeah, no idea. Got, yeah, no, we can't. So you can't lie and say you know, the, your accomplice next door has just said you did it. Um, we can't do that. I think we should be able to. I don't I know. Think, I don't know. Which one's better? Well, yours, I think. Well, well, but the same, at the same time, she hates the fact that we have the Fifth <laughs> Amendment right to, to remain yeah. silent, right? So she, when, when we get to do cases and I say, uh, so-and-so, you know, invoked their Fifth Amendment right and oh, they haven't spoken, it, it pisses her off because she's yeah. like, you should have to talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. The history of those kinds of things though. Right. Because mm. that was one of the big gripes that are, that the colonials had against great Britain is that they, they were not protected from self-incrimination. Mm. I mean, we've got the right to remain silent. We could do the no comment, but, and, and obviously if I was arrested, I'd no comment and fifth amendment the whole way. But as, as an investigator and looking into it, it frustrates me when they sit there and just go, no, no comment. No comment. I always wonder why people even talk to the police though. Like I was, <laughs> I was looking at the, like the Chris Watts interrogation oh. and yeah. I'm sitting there going, okay, 
the the human part of me, the one who feels for this woman and these children, yeah. I am glad that he is such an idiot. Yes. But, but then part of me is going, ah, I want to shake him, shut you idiot. Up. All you have to do is shut up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I find Chris Watts absolutely pathetic. I just find him a pathetic individual. And I feel so bad for those kids and for his wife. And then I read that you've got like women that are right into him in prison that are like, that absolutely adore him. And I'm like, do you not know what he did to his wife and his children? No, there's some kind of mental dis- disorder and you're, there. You're right into him, hoping that you're going to have some kind of relationship with him. He brutally murdered his family. What is mm. wrong with you? It's I have crazy. an unpopular opinion, though. I, I don't know if I should say it out loud. People Do it. Say it. Me. Say it. Dang it. Um, Shanann Watts should not have been sharing all of the intimate details of her marriage with her friends. That led directly. I'm not saying that she's to blame. No, no. I'm just saying that dudes hate that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, I, I'm sure that led to him snapping. He found out that she. But he was that, having an affair. Yeah. And he didn't talk about it. No. <laughs> <laughs> but like. I mean, if you're, she's pregnant, okay, so she's hormonal, and she's talking to her friends because her marriage is not going right because he's screwing around with somebody else. Yeah, so she's talking to her friends about it. Like I can tell, you totally understand that, Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Do you want your wife telling all your dirty laundry to? Yeah, it's. it's Let me just let me just tell you, it happens. It happens. Oh sure, yeah, because it happens. Like like if I go and like my wife goes, hey, um, you were just hanging out with. Your friends, what what'd you guys talk about? And I say, well, nothing really. She thinks I'm lying because I'm not sitting here talking about like how my marriage is going or whatever. No, the answer is we didn't really talk about shit. We just <laughs> we talked about. Uh, we talked about be, but, like, the, you must have t- a close friend. Almost, you must my have a close friend. friend if, is my wife. I, I don't have yeah. anybody yeah. that I give my secrets to. But I mean, if all I of a sudden, you, like your wife stops interacting with you and she's acting strangely and you've got suspicions that something's going on, who do you talk to about it? There must be somebody um, that you would say, I really don't know what to do. Like, I don't know what to do. He's acting really weird. He's, we're not intimate anymore. Something's going on. I don't know what to do. What do I do? Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll answer the question then, Morgan. I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this. <laughs> okay. It would not be a friend. Be a, Peri- like a family member. Nah, it would not be a friend. Kimberly and I, um, when we, it wasn't, we weren't wise enough at this point when we were dating, but after we'd been married a couple of years and, uh, we got married after we'd only known each other about five months. So amazing. Yeah. So we, um, we really not only had to figure out how to be married, but we also had yeah. to learn about each other and become friends, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, almost from the beginning. So, uh, we made an agreement early on that if I ever had a problem with her, I would never take it to my parents. I would take it to hers. And if she ever had a problem with me, she would not take it to her parents. She would take it to mine. And the reason is my parents will forgive me if I'm an idiot, but her parents will not vice versa, right? Her parents will always love and forgive her. Yeah. If she has made a colossal mistake, but my parents would have a harder time with that. That's, that's how we manage those things. That's a really good, that's a good system. And it's happened. It's happened a couple of times on where I have been the idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. you would go to her parents? No, no, no. Uh, well, I would, but she has gone to mine. 
and said like he's been an absolute idiot. What do I do? Yeah, what do I do? Yeah, how do I see? How but I that's good because obviously she's got a good relationship with them. If you ha- if you don't have that relationship with the in laws, then what do you do? You're kind of like, yeah. who do I? Do? I need to talk to someone. Who do I talk to? Maybe yeah. it's a sibling or you know. Well, yeah, sh- yeah maybe a sibling. Shanann Watts was doing that to everybody. What do you <laughs> What do you think, Morgan? No, I have a I have a sister that I would talk to. Yeah, there you go. I mean, I have multi. I have two, two, three sisters sisters now count them and, and obviously a two brothers host. not my brothers i wouldn't talk the to my brothers i have one specific sister that i would i would talk to because she's the type of person like she'd like if if i'm the idiot in the situation she'll tell me that i'm the idiot <laughs> or you yeah. can ask me because i would tell you too. oh yeah yeah or cherry <laughs> yeah but i wouldn't go to a, i wouldn't go to like captain or anything oh i don't know I want to go to Captain, like, hey, Captain, this is what's going on. So Captain Although, is somebody you've yeah. known forever, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's, a, yeah, that. Yeah, he's time, a very yeah. sensitive soul, though. He's a very good, he's a good guy to talk to. He's a, yeah, yeah. he's a good guy to talk to. Well, yeah. That, I, Chris Watts, what an idiot. What a douche. <laughs> totally. He makes me so mad. He does make me so mad. I look, I just want to punch him in the face. What is it about? Like it's not just women; it's men too who mm-hmm. fall in love with yeah. with murderers. You know, there was know. Like, what's his what it, the freak is his name in the seventies that uh, was the serial killer that escaped Richard Bundy. Ramirez. Bundy, no oh, Bundy. Bundy, Bundy, Bundy. Oh, Richard Ramirez is another really good example of this. But Bundy, Bundy, by the way, if you ever watch like the actual court proceedings. He got his girlfriend on the stand and legally married her by asking her questions, and it became legally binding. Yeah. He was so smart. Yeah, he was but it really smart. Never would have happened if she wasn't into mm. that kind of. I guy. just don't understand how you can. Like, I don't understand. I, I, this fascinates me. This is something I've looked into a lot, like jailhouse relationships um, from people on the outside with, with people on the inside. And I find it really bizarre that people will strike up a relationship with somebody who's murdered and raped and brutally hurt people. And I just think, do you have this mentality that you think you can change them? You are the yeah. one that's going to be the, you know, the one that's going to make it. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand. Have either of you ever corresponded with anybody in prison like that? Not sexually, but yes. But as a, like a, as a podcaster or a oh, reporter no, no. or anything like that? No, no. I, I find them fascinating. I have a case in New York that I've been working on for a year and a half. Mm. And I'm in touch with the person who I believe killed her. He's in wow. prison for something else. He's in prison for rape. Of another person. Wow. And I'm in touch with them, but it's freaking fascinating. Yeah, very. How how, um, how he can just justify the actions that, or, or just completely ignore them or yeah. completely just say, no, I didn't do that. No, my sperm magically got inside her. <laughs> Tripped and fell. I had, fell inside her. Yeah. I, like, it, it's, it's fascinating how. It is. I don't, how, how is that even possible? I just, I just don't, I don't understand it. And the whole prison thing just fascinates me. The whole procedural stuff, the way that people work in prison, the way that people gravitate towards each other in prison and that kind of thing. It just, it absolutely fascinates me, but I just don't understand how, you know, here, like the Yorkshire Ripper, 
women as young, I mean, he's an old man, like an old man. And you've got women as young as 18 writing to him saying that like they adore him. And I'm like, he's, he killed people. He raped, he brutalized people. He killed them, ripped them apart. And you're writing to him, telling how much you admire him. And he sends you hearts in like, in the, but you, first of all, you're giving him your address, you idiot. I mean, come <laughs> on. Yeah. I would love oh, to talk to these insane. people. I would love to have a conversation with these women and ask them like what there was a series on Netflix about it, about romances in prison between people in prisons and stuff. And most of the people in there, the women that were writing to these guys were like, I don't think he did it. Well, that's the way Bundy's wife was, is that she did not believe that he did what they accused him of. And it was like the last week of his life where he was trying to get some type of clemency. He asks her, should I tell Mm. him where the bodies are? And she was shocked. Bodies? What? What are you talking about? You did do it. I mean, come on. Yeah. How naive do you have to be? That's just crazy. Oh, man. It's it's really interesting, but it's also very frightening. (laughs) that people are that naive. Yeah. What, um, what I've been trying to figure out what makes somebody turn into a ripper, a Mm. murderer, a rapist. Yeah. I was talking with John and Sally on my last episode and they were talking to me about a criminal that, um, so he wasn't doing that kind of crime. He was doing like drug imports and he, he was doing, I mean, it wasn't petty crime. It was major crime, but he mm. wasn't murdering people, right? Mm. And for him, it was a game. He loved it, and he loved to get away with it. Yeah. Narcissism. Yeah. It's like the catch I, me if you can kind of thing, isn't it? It's, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, I don't know. They're just people that are. Fascinating, though. I think a lot of it is narcissism, and I think a lot of it is attention-seeking. I think people I think people love to to be known even if you know that's why most people get caught is when they start corresponding with police isn't it yeah that leads to the downfall like most like BTK yeah he didn't get caught until you know until they start corresponding and drop themselves in it because they want to then be known for what they've done Mm -hmm. they want people to know it was them he was getting some kind of an arousal it was almost orgasmic just by taunting the police yeah yeah like what was it like he he was going through and one of his earliest letters to one of the like a tv station was he was trying to give suggestions on what they should call him yeah yeah he was given yeah for his like media name he was given the suggestions of what he should be called i mean that's crazy oh like then how is that that like your 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 most like the thing that you're worried about most is like having some cool nickname like I want to be the Ripper <laughs> or whatever it might be. Yeah. Like that's what you're thinking. Do you, think, about. do you think Jack the Ripper was walking around going, "Why do they call me Jack? My name is Ronald." Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but there are some that there are some that you feel sorry for. I mean, I read a book by a lady called Caroline Lee. She was at CrimeCon, um, and she wrote this story about this guy who was a poisoner, a serial poisoner from a young kid. Oh, that's he, weird. Yeah. Yeah. And he like poisoned his family, poisoned his friends. Mm-hmm. And then st- when he got older, he, he was sent to um, prison for it, like a secure host- mental hospital, managed to learn what would get him out of there, like his behaviors. If he acted a certain way, they would clear him and let him out 
into the world again, which he did. And then he got a job, which they set him up with. And then he started poisoning his workforce, like started poisoning all his friends in the, in the tea and all his, you know, but he was a really likable guy. Mm -hmm. Like most people that read the book said that, there's just Actually, that one they thing. Felt sorry There's just him. that one yeah. thing that nobody okay. liked. Well, Everything yeah. else was great. He only killed like, a few people. You it's know, kind of like, like this is weird, right? But it's kind of like Dennis Nielsen, right? Who I, was yeah, a again, UK yeah. hero killer. Yeah. Who, you look at him. He was a, just he was a lonely guy. He was and, a nerdy, lonely guy, and, and people just, liked him. Yeah. But and he so, had bodies in his house stashed, and he used to like pose them and sleep with them and bathe them, and then he stashed them under his floorboards. Yeah. Wow. But so yeah, so a terrible then, person, still, a terrible but, person, but he was lonely and there's like some part of you because everyone yeah. still has like this, this humane part of themselves where you can yeah. look at someone that does something so terrible and you go, this guy just needed a cuddle. Yeah. And, and maybe if he got a cuddle, he wouldn't have killed how many, uh, you know, how many other guys? Young men, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the... um wasn't the school shooter over there in Uvalde known as like his nickname was school shooter? Yes. Oh, yeah. So yeah. it's like, I, I, I think of that and I, and again, I don't, I, I'm not about casting blame. I just want to learn why people do the things that they do. Totally. But if you live your life being told that you are not good enough for the crowd yeah. and uh, you're so weird that you're going to shoot up a school someday, you mm. think that might possibly lead to, a school shooting, perhaps. Yeah, I definitely yeah. think that that home life has got, unlike your life in general, has got a a lot to do with that kind of thing. I'm the same. I'm always really fascinated to know why people do certain things. Like, why do you behave like that? Why? And I think with most of these, like when you look at most of these um, situations where you've got murderers, and a lot of the situations have got bad backgrounds. A lot of them, there's not very many that have, have got really nice backgrounds where they've had a perfect life growing up. There's been no issues at all. And they've just all of a sudden snapped. There's always something when you look back that isn't quite right in their life. What were you going to say, Morgan? No, I was going to say about school shootings. I find school shootings fascinating for one, one point. Um, when I was in middle school, so I was in, I was in middle school in the early, early nineties. Okay. I remember specifically like sitting at lunch, talking to friends about how we, how we would go about breaking into the school and like shooting it up. Right. But I really? think it was part. Yeah. But I think it was part, it was more along the lines of at that age, we still like in the mindset, you know, mindset of playing army games and stuff like that. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So yeah. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of people that go go in, you know, a lot of males who have those thoughts of, oh, you know, I'm I'm frustrated with school for whatever reason I've finished it up. But at some point you realize I'm not gonna do this because that's not who sure. I am. Yeah. But then you have these you have definitely have kids who I don't know if it's a chemical imbalance, if it's just them not maturing the way they should, that they can't get it out of their mind. Like this is something that normal people wouldn't do. I've never right? thought of that though. At school, well, you're I've not never... a guy either. Yeah. That's I true. think That's as little true. kids, we do uh, like now that you mentioned that I never like fantasized about, about, you know, school shooting or whatever, but I certainly did think a lot about like red Dawn situations where you'd yeah. be 
defending your school and killing the bad guys and stuff like that. And I yeah. think I think oh, most most boys growing up probably yeah. had thoughts like that. Mm-hmm. No, it wasn't like we were sitting there going like, "Oh, what this we're like we're we're not planning Columbine here. We're just talking about yeah. like, oh well, if we were going to do this, we would have a guy to you know we would have a guy block off that doorway, sniper above the library, like, yeah, yeah, like yeah. snipers. Yeah. Okay, yeah, like, so, but like it, army for, and for stuff. us, it was more like army. Type, game. You know? we're, yeah. yeah, we're playing art. Like, yeah, we're still playing army in our head. But then mm. at some point. You don't have those thoughts anymore because you're not interested in playing war anymore. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. But then yeah. you have you have kids that now like who have actually access to these weapons that they shouldn't have access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can't get yeah. these thoughts out of their head. And they're like, Well, I'm gonna just shoot up a school because yeah, for whatever yeah. twist. When I was in school, reason. I I graduated high school in nineteen ninety-three. I think it was the year before I graduated high school. Um, a kid that I knew. Uh, nice kid. Like he was a kid that was like, he wasn't unpopular. He wasn't super popular. He was just kind of in the middle of the road, mm-hmm. but he was known as somebody who was like the defender of the little guy. So if anybody was being picked on by somebody who had more social power, he would jump in and just beat the tar out of people. He was always the defender of the little guy, right? Mm-hmm. He got expelled for bringing a gun to school. Wow. And, and the reason that he did that was he had had enough of this bully who was bullying a kid that he knew and he had decided he was going to, I think he had wow. decided he was going to brandish it. Yeah. But, oh, to scare him. Yeah. yeah to scare but him. Columbine him. was probably in what? Nine, 99. 99. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, not far re- off. it's not far off from yeah. 92 ish that this kid did that. Right. It's just, man, it escalated <laughs> quick. We don't really have that here so much because there's not that there's not that access to guns so much. It's very rare. I don't know anybody when I was growing up that had a gun or access to a gun because I lived in the city. And so that wasn't something that generally we had access to. Kids in the countryside, their parents have guns like where I live now, but they're all under lock and key and they're usually for like shooting like you know, like when you go out hunting animals and stuff, like long not, rifles. Like, yeah, you don't really have pistols like here, like you guys do. There's not really the access for us for that kind of stuff. I mean, we've had it where kids have taken a knife to school and stuff like that, but it's very rare. It's a really, really rare. Bringing thing a knife here. to school would be very similar as far as the psychology. I think, though, yeah, that, yeah, you know, just they don't have access to the gun, so they bring the knife. I, That's right. We've got a real problem in the states, and I'm not I'm not anti gun at all. In fact, I no. I own I own handguns, I own long guns, mm. but I think parents should be held responsible for not. I mean, it wouldn't have helped in Uvalde because he was well. It kind of would because the dad vouched for him anyway. Like I think parents should be responsible if if one of my children got my handgun or one of my long guns and went to school, they only did so because I was stupid enough to make it accessible. To accessible. Them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. They've got it for, get it from somewhere. Haven't they? Yeah. But for the most part, I mean, that's the reason that most people I know have guns is we go out into the woods and we, and we hunt. Yeah. For the yeah. most part. I mean, I know in broader America, that's not the case. A lot of people just have guns because they like the sport or they're, they have the right, so they're exercising it. You know, there, mm. there's lots of different reasons. Mm. But, yeah, I, I think that we – actually, when I was a kid growing up there in Orangevale, I had a friend in Citrus Heights, like two blocks away. And his parents, his dad, had a collection of guns. They were all like old um, 
like revolver type mm. and there were shotguns and there were like Remington, like the cocking ones that you see on old Westerns and stuff. Right. Yeah. They were just in a pile under his bed. And when his parents weren't there, we would go in and grab the guns and, and run around the them. backyard and play yeah. and, and shoot yeah. each other. We just did that. Yeah. Like, how freaking stupid. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's an excuse for my friend and I being stupid. We were like 11. Kids. That's right. right. But how yeah, stupid for the stupid. parents. But yeah. their parents, who I love, I yeah. love, but still stupid. Mm. It's crazy, isn't it? Isn't that, oh, yeah. Thinking about that, like, gives you like, when you think about stupid things you did as a, as a kid, it just gives you like goosebumps. Like, yeah. Why am I, I, why was I so stupid? Yeah. And you won't let your kids do that now. And you just think, oh God, I don't want you to get away with the stuff I got away with when I was a kid. Yeah. Like I, I used to, I mean, this isn't running around with real guns playing war, but like I used to, especially if like if my, my parents had like grilled out and they had a charcoal grill, I would like find ways to like, I would like put on like, Gardening gloves and like pick up the char the charcoal and like throw them, flip them, <laughs> make them explode. Oh my god! And think about it Poor now, parents. I'm like, I'm an idiot. Like, like, because I thought it was cool. I'm like, it was like a grenade, <laughs> right? I take this thing and I throw it and it explodes and like you know all these like hot embers come come off of it. So is Ohio like Pennsylvania where it's just perennially green? You can't light anything on fire. Um. Sometimes, because in California, if you did that, it would just it would burn down a thousand Forest, houses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it. it we got a, we've got a ton of rain, but uh, just in the past two weeks. But yeah, it, it can get pretty dry out here. Um, but it's yeah, similar to Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. I um, I have another. Just, I I'm asking these like deep philosophical questions here, but um, I have a question about the value of people. Mm. Like one of the things that I really think that a lot of us are drawn, one of the things that I think draws a lot of us to true crime is that we see value in the people who haven't gotten justice, whatever, however we would define justice, because I don't know that there ever is justice for a lot of these crimes, right? There's, yeah. there's just not, there's no restitution that can be made, but we all, you know, that, the postcard murders that we talked about earlier that happened in 1907. So 115 years ago, and we're sitting here talking about it because it's important because that person's life has value. Yeah. Right. So my question, the thing that I've been struggling with, and actually one of the reasons that I reached out to that kid in prison, who I am 99.69% sure murdered my victim is that does that person have value too? Yeah. And if so, how much, and should we as a society be trying to, uh, to, to help them maybe find their value and rejoin society, or should we just let them rot where they are? I think a lot of times when people get into the system, they, they lose that self-worth, right? And excuse me if you hear my dog bark. That's fine. Um, you, you kind of lose self-worth. And I think it's not even just prison. I think there's a lot of situations that people, people start start to they don't value themselves right so i think i think there is something that that we can can do to kind of help people see the value in themselves that kind of to get them on the right track but along those same points i think we um a lot of times especially in the true crime world i think 
sometimes we we're guilty of not valuing cases more than other cases because of the circumstances of the victim. Um, uh, uh, tell me what you mean by that. So to, uh, before we hopped on with you, we were recording. It's one of my cases where um, it's, it's a case that's, that's looked over because the victim had a drug issue. Mm-hmm. They, they were addicted to meth. So they would be your typical meth head, right? And mm-hmm. they, had, they lived a high-risk life. And so people look at it like, well, yeah, they might have went disappearing. They might have just disappeared. No one knows what happened to them. They might have been murdered. But you know what? They, they should have known better. They, they, they brought this on themselves because, because of their lifestyle. But they're still a person, right? I mean, they're still a human being. They still, this person has, still has parents. They have siblings. They have children. So, yeah, they might have made choices in their lives that led them to spiral and to become addicted to a drug and to be involved in less savory people. But they still have value. We can't just, we can't just skip over them and say, well, they disappeared, but they kind of brought it on themselves. Well, in the episode that you guys did, uh, his name was Caleb. The victim's name was Caleb. Yes. Um, Caleb deal deal. Yeah. Caleb deal. Cherry, you made a, a pretty strong argument for just like put him put him away. Not him, not Caleb, but his uh, his attacker, abuser. his assailant, yeah. his abuser, uh, and throw away the key. Right? Yeah. Do you think there's any redemption for a person like that? By the yeah. way, who he's not been found, he's not yeah. been held responsible for Caleb's disappearance no. and like likely death. But is there redemption for a person like that? This is a really difficult one for me because I always I always advocate the the prostitutes. I always find that prostitute cases where they're a victim, they're overlooked because of the job that they do. And that makes me really mad because I feel that just because they're doing that job doesn't mean to say that they are it's okay to rape or kill a prostitute just because she's doing that job. With cases like Caleb's, I find the sexual abuse cases really difficult because I feel that that is something that isn't, it's not something that's going to get better with rehabilitation. There aren't very, it's, a, it's an urge that isn't stopped. It's not something, I mean, I've watched lots of, there's a, there's a, a guy that does documentaries over here and he came over to America to a, like a, a it's like a communal area where they house um, people that are having, um, those sexual urges where they're on the sexual register list and they have abused people and and children and it's it's a pedophile like a commune for pedophiles and they're monitored by this this not like not a guard but there is a a person around there that makes sure that there's no pornographic material that gets in there these people are still the posters that they have on their wall this guy had a poster of this young girl on his wall and it was a sexy poster of a a young girl and he is a convicted pedophile and i just that i find it really difficult to uh, to get around my head around the fact that they are going to be rehabilitated mm-hmm. i understand that that most murders are crimes of passion it's something to do with anger on the spot there aren't many 
there aren't many serial killers that plot and plan to the point that like BTK did and and the Golden State Killer did. They are few and far between, thankfully. And we know about them because they're huge cases. But the sexual abuse that goes on of children, I just I just can't get my head around it. And if it was left to me, they wouldn't there wouldn't be anymore. (laughs) I just I can't. I've had conversations with people that say to me, but they're human. Yeah, I get that they're human, but the choices that they're making, when somebody sits in front of you and tells you that that two-year-old child in that pornographic video was enjoying what was being done to it, that just, I just can't understand that. And I honestly could not do that as a job. I would, I just couldn't do it. I just don't. You brought up an interesting point. And we talked about it on the case of the Keogh Deal case where his abuser had previously been um, put into uh, into counseling and he had to register as a sex offender and mm. he had to do take polygraph. But rather than try to fix himself and his issues, he made it his purpose to find ways to beat the system. So he's practicing. Continue. Yeah. To get away yeah. with it. To get yeah. away with it. How can, instead of going, something's wrong with me, I need to fix myself. Yeah. It, it was, how can I get away with it? And I watched a documentary where they interviewed these, these guys that were pedophiles. And this guy said, I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. And I know that I shouldn't be thinking it, but I am aroused by children. And I was just like, okay, so how can you integrate that guy safely back into society when he's been through all this counseling, but he's still saying it's in me. I am attracted to children. Mm-hmm. I, I just, so I don't what understand. Do you, what do you do with them? It's oh, probably gosh. a really unpopular opinion. It's, it's very, very unpopular. Well, but I don't club, think, yeah. I don't think they should be in society. I don't, if I had a family member who I love dearly, that was doing stuff like that. No, I just, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong. It's so wrong. It is absolutely wrong. But do they have any value? Do they still have human that- value? Yeah. To me, to me, it's probably very, very, very wrong. But no, absolutely not. They're taking away the liberty of that child and they are choosing to do that to a child, knowing full well that that child is hurt physically, mm-hmm. mentally for the rest of their life, hurt. Well, and the no, likelihood just of that question. child becoming a pedophile themselves goes yeah. way up. Yeah. Did, did, okay. So you listen to Caleb Deal. Did you listen, listen to Brittany Wood? The one it was the my, the case I did before it was Caleb before Field. that one yeah I did unfortunately I did two cases back to back that were very very similar and they uh, both yeah. involved uh, sexual yeah. abuse yeah I a did. female victim and a male Where, victim but in similar circumstances but in that's in Brittany Woods case it was found that that this 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 inner family sex ring mm. an inner family child abuse sex ring yeah had was multi-generational that it had been going on in the family for at least three generations three generations yeah which means grandpa did it to his kids their kids did it to their kids and it just continued and the cycle would would still be going on if Brittany Wood did not go missing if the current well the ringleader who who at the time of his death was a ringleader didn't die this would still be going on in this family they should be locked. I think they should be put into a secure unit with only adults, no access to the internet, no access to the outside world for like whether he can get hold of child material whatsoever. And they should be put into because I don't think they'll change. I don't think you can rehabilitate a pedophile like that. It's something mm-hmm. that's inbuilt in you. It's not 
and you know even if it's a pattern that you've learned growing up as a you know growing up that's perhaps slightly different you'd need to sort of evaluate that but I don't I don't think that they should be what allowed about, back into society oh go ahead we just, Maureen we just, had a, we, just, we just had a guy that was released here do you remember I told you about that we had a guy that was released here back into mm-hmm. he's been in prison for raping two young school girls mm-hmm. he's been in prison for years and years like 20 oh. years he was released mm-hmm. within two weeks of being out he was stalking a school girl I was just going to say, going back to your question about value. Even though, Chair, you say you lock them up, mm-hmm. you still are, you're still putting value on the life because you're not saying, you know. And the life. Yeah. And the life. So there's still value. Well, still <laughs> then we get onto the whole, you know, the whole death penalty <laughs> stuff. And you know what happens with that conversation. I could talk to you, I've talked to you about it for hours. But okay, if it was down to me, would I euthanize them? No, I don't think that's my decision to make. But if I tell you what, if somebody touched my daughter like that, I'd be, I would be advocating. You'd be advocating for euthanasia. I'd be, I'd be quite happy to be there myself and press that button myself. I would have no issue with that whatsoever. Mm -hmm. If they touch my daughter, that would be it. I'd gladly go to prison. Absolutely. That's a, yeah. What about though for crimes other than against children? Yeah, I think that's different. I think it's. I think that's different. I think, like with you guys over there and your degrees of murder, I think there are. You know, somebody could be driving down, not paying attention, driving down the road, not paying attention, hit someone and kill them. They didn't mean and set out to kill that person. Unfortunately, due to their stupid, idiotic actions, mm-hmm. they've killed somebody. Should they be prosecuted? Yes, because they've acted irresponsibly, and unfortunately, somebody's lost their life. Which you, you know, that's awful. Then you've got the issue with somebody like, um, you know, somebody like the Golden State Killer, who is like had a reign of terror and plotted and planned Mm -hmm. to do this kind of thing. Should he be allowed to be? No, I don't think he should be rehabilitated rehabilitated at all. He chose that path. He chose to do that. He knows it's wrong. He's eluded police. He's, you know, no, absolutely not. You're an adult. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You've chosen to do that off you go lethal okay. injection no, let, no, me, I... let me give you a, another scenario okay okay here's a scenario this is where all your listeners are gonna go she's awful Get no you're, no cherry you're the best because you're honest <laughs> this is awesome but this is I, I don't mean to put you on the spot this is for both of you okay okay what about this say um and i think this is more uh reflective of what happens most of the time let's let's okay. do it this way yeah um I don't know. A young man is in love. He's engaged to be married. He finds out that his fiance is having an affair and in a jealous rage in a moment, not even knowing what he's doing, he ends the life of his fiance. Mm-hmm. What about that? You go first. Um, because this is a situation in, 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 in which the, the perpetrator, I wouldn't say this perpetrator is not valuing human life because he's he's being emotionally driven to doing this, right? So he's not in the right mind. He's just he's he's just letting his emotions go. Which I think is different than a situation where you have a person like Ted Bundy or Golden State Killer who obviously have no moral compass or oh, they, those guys they, are predators. They're, they're, they're just predators. predators. Who don't 
those people don't value human life. No. Right? At all. Like they don't value only like, in as much as it makes them feel good to end it. That's the exactly. Value. exactly. Yeah. It's but, their sexual, their sexual arousal. Yeah. In the case of a scorned lover, it's, I, I look at that. It's not right. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. It's not right, but they're not on the same level as these, these predators. This is someone who just, I don't want to say made a mistake. Uh, well, they did make a mistake. They did. Yeah. That's, that's right. They didn't but mean to do it. So, but it's like, it's, there's just a a visceral reaction to to the circumstance. Okay, so are they redeemable? Yes. Is there redemption that I think can so. be there? I think so. Okay, what does that redemption look like to you? Here's the thing. This is what it's weird because. I don't look at prison as as something that redeems people. I think I think I don't think people I think it well it can. But I think that that there needs to be more than just here sit in this cell for 15 20 years, think about what you did and come out and you know, apologize. I think there needs to be more, right? There needs to be more than 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 that. But how do you how do you look at a person and say, you know what, this person has been, has redeemed themselves? Is it do they go and they do good deeds? Do or do you have them uh, <laughs> do volunteer work? I don't know. I think they, I think they can be redeemed, but it's tough to like sit here and say this is what this is what they have to do for me to go. You know what, they've redeemed themselves. Because how do you know if it's how how do you know if it's real? How do you know if their redemption is real? I don't know. That's a really good question. Well, I'm looking at a case right now that uh, has pretty much consumed my life for months. Uh, I probably talked to you guys about it. it's a case of Ellen Greenberg, where uh, it kind of a similar situation. She wasn't cheating on him or anything like that. She, uh, you know, the autopsy photos tell the story that she had been being abused for quite some time. Mm-hmm. Um, but her death was ruled a suicide despite being stabbed 20 times, 10 of which were in the back of her head and neck, two of which were post-mortem, right? Which, of course, she did herself. Yeah. 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 And so I'm sitting here going, okay, my number one suspect, the guy that is her fiance. Mm. Of course, I can't say with certainty that he definitely killed her. However, for his own sake, for to in order to give him a chance to redeem himself, he has to be held to account. Yes. Mm. Yes. You have to be held. No, I, I agree with that. You need to be held accountable before you can be redeemed. But I don't think that we can. I, I'm with you. Like, we can't define what that redemption is. He would have to redeem himself. Yes. And we yes. would all recognize it when it's done. Yeah. Yeah. And and we, my and parents used to tell me that story when I was a little kid. I'm going to butcher this, but the guy that was the sheep thief. And so they tattooed ST on his forehead. You guys heard that story, <laughs> right? And then at the end of his life, uh, you know, at his funeral, people were asking, what did that ST even mean? And people were like, I think it meant he was a saint. That's what I always thought. Because <laughs> over the course of his life, yeah. he had tried hard to redeem himself from his mistake 
as a yeah. young man. I'm, I'm sure that's completely anecdotal yeah. and I'm telling it completely no. wrong. But. <laughs> no, but we, I don't think, I don't think we have the ability to, to look at a person and tell them this is what you need to do in order to be redeemed. I think it's, I think it's very difficult. I think, so we covered a case. Um, I don't remember. It's really bad. I don't remember the name of the victim. You'll remember straight away because it was your case. Well, there was a pregnant woman who was attacked by another woman who um, killed her and cut her baby out of her oh, stomach. Wow. So she, it was then proven that she had had this upbringing where it was a horrible upbringing. She was abused. She was mm-hmm. um, tortured mentally um, and she had major mental issues this is a really difficult case for me because I put myself in the in the shoes of the mother of the victim and I said to Morgan like we had a bit differing views on this because Morgan was like she shouldn't she shouldn't get the death penalty because she's mentally unsound and um you know she's she's not responsible for her actions so much because of her mental state and I said like I said to him I'm not so sure because as, as the mother say, if I, if that was my daughter, if I had a daughter that was pregnant, that was murdered by somebody like in that situation, would I be happy with that person sitting in jail? Would I be happy with that person laughing, living not a free life, but a life being alive by while my daughter died, not only brutally, but is now never coming back purely because of your mental illness or whatever. Um, And I find it, I find it really difficult for the whole redeeming yourself. I don't really see how you would ever redeem yourself or how I would sit there and say, okay, yeah, I I understand she's got mental issues and that's why she killed my daughter. And okay. Yeah. Her sitting in jail is fine with me. I don't, I don't see how you, in, in, in a situation, I can understand if you come home and you find your husband, your wife in bed with somebody else and you just lose your temper in that, in that second, lots of things can happen when you lose your temper and you don't necessarily want that to happen, but it's happened. You've now ended somebody's life because you can't control your temper. And so then, okay, yeah, you should be off to prison because, okay, you didn't mean it, but it happened. You killed somebody because you lost your temper. You just have to accept that that's, that's what happened. You, you made that choice. You lost your temper. You killed someone, whether you meant it or not, that's it. Black and white for me off to prison. I don't know how you would ever redeem yourself for taking someone's life like that. I mean, the predators and the other, those people, they don't deserve to come out ever at all. I mean, they've, you know, victimized people and done it for their own sexual gratification for years. They don't deserve a life whatsoever. Okay. So there's this guy in Brazil. His name is uh, Pedro Rodriguez Filho. They call him Pedrinho, Mm -hmm. uh, which just means junior. Like he's little Pedro. His dad was named Pedro. Anyway. Um, that man over the course of his life killed like 30 people. Mm. Um, and most of them in prison, like before he got into prison, he'd probably killed eight or 10. But then once he got into prison, the, anybody who crossed his path that, that crossed yeah. him the wrong way, yeah, their life was ended real fast. He was just a brutal killer. Animal. Right. Mm. But in Brazil, you there's a statute that says you can't spend more than 30 years in prison. So at the end of 30 years, I think they were able to extend it by a few years, but he's now a free man. He's got a YouTube channel. No way. Yeah. Yeah. No way. Uh, Let's see. I have to remember what it's called. I think it's, uh, Pedrinho age matador con 
Jesus. So he's like a born again. Um, he feels I don't like believe that. I don't believe that whole born again stuff. Yeah. He, so they used to call him Pedrino Matador, Killer Petey, right? Jeez. So now his, the name of his channel is Pedrino Ex Matador, Ex Killer Petey. Oh, oh, with wow. Jesus, I think is what it's called. And it, and it has videos of him like uh, being baptized in a river and doing good things and spending time with his grandchildren because, of course, somebody while he was in prison married him, had yeah, conjugal visits, had children, yeah. uh, the oh whole thing, God. right? Um, yeah, so, <laughs> I mean. Well, now he's a free man. Just he's a free there, man. He, no? oh, not only is he free, he's famous. He has like yeah. a number one rap hit in Brazil. Oh, God. It's nuts, right? And I'm sure his family obviously value his life. Obviously, his family love him, and and that kind. Of, and I get that, but I just think that if you if those are the choices you make, you know that that one of the consequences of those is going to be prison. So I mean, I don't go around murdering people, or whatever, however bad day I'm having, because you know it's wrong, and you'll end up in prison. And I don't want to be in prison. Mm -hmm. But saying that, once you've lost everything, and if you've you know if if somebody killed one of my kids. I'd have no problem with blowing their brains Dude, out. Well, this guy, see, he wasn't a predator. He was just vicious. Just nuts. Yeah. Yeah. He, um, he has, I, I don't know. I'm giggling because I'm uncomfortable, not because it's funny. Yeah. Just, I, yeah. But, I um, get it. He, he was terribly abused in utero um, by awful. his father. His father tried to force an abortion. Oh, and geez. so he was born with uh, with all sorts of problems. But later on, uh, after leaving home because he had been beaten so terribly mm. by his dad, he found out that his mom had been killed by his dad. Mm. So he goes back and he pays his way into the little city jail or county jail or whatever it was and beats and stabs his own father to death. And then is yeah. like, I will take the punishment. I'm satisfied. Yeah, I get that. <laughs> I get that. If that were the only thing that he did. <laughs> exactly. If that was the only thing he would did, if he did, then yeah, great. I under I can completely understand it. <laughs> then going on to like other people annoying you, just wipe them out. It's not really the way, is it? Now, see, this remind like I started thinking about um, as you're going over this guy, I was thinking about Vince Lee. I don't know if you know who Vince Lee is, but he I don't was know the, who Vince Lee is. He was the Greyhound Cannibal. So in 2008, on a it was up in Canada on a cross-country Greyhound bus trip. He murdered a 22-year-old man and ate him. He Nobody was, noticed on the bus? No, they did. They did. <laughs> no, they did. Eventually, yeah, they, they did, right? But so he goes to trial in 2009, found guilty, right? Okay. He was in, he was in, he was in a, he was institutionalized. Until 2015, when he was released, so six years. He got six years in a in a mental hospital before they released him. This and is who the guy did he when he came out. Well, he hasn't eaten anyone yet, that I know of. Okay, but this is the guy who murdered someone. He's gonna do though, isn't he? Okay, eats them and gets gets six, six years. Six years. That's crazy. Not even in jail. Not even in jail. Six years in a hospital. Um. You're, wow. You're, you're looking it up, aren't you? Well, I know there's another <laughs> case that it's reminded me. Um, he's a famous serial killer who was like featured on Mindhunter, the really, really tall Dama. guy. Dama. Dama. Not Jeffrey Dama. Dama. No, no, no. Um, What's his why name? Why Is that the one that had sex with his mom's head? Yes. Yeah. 
Oh, damn it. I know who exactly but, who but you mean. That one, he killed his grandparents yeah. as a youth. Yeah. Got institutionalized, spent some years, not enough, in prison, yeah. in a juvenile detention, right? Mm-hmm. And but then had a plan like he got released. And yeah. his uh his therapist in prison said, when you release him. Never, ever, ever send him to his mom. His mom is the root of all of his problems. Well, when he was released, he had nobody else to go to. Mm-hmm. That's right. And then he ended Ed up Kemper. killing her, didn't he? That's it, Ed Kemper. Kep- Kemper. But the weird thing is, I quite liked Ed Kemper. Tell me more. <laughs> what? I I thought that that, I honestly thought, reading through everything and watching his, um port- the portray of, portray, portray of him in, in Mindhunter, I actually thought he was quite an like a likable guy. He would be somebody that, that I would like to sit and talk to because he I find him absolutely fascinating. Until he rips her head off. Well, obviously. And yeah. has sex with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to like be his best friend, but you know, I would like to talk to him. You want a barrier between you two. That's yes. really what, yeah. what you need. But I would have. like to talk to him because I find him fascinating. Because if you listen to the way he explains what he did, mm. it's so matter of fact. It's yeah. like it's just that's what happened. That's what I did, and because I wanted to do it, and that fascinates me. Why? Why did you do that? Why? I mean, we're not just talking about you killing somebody in anger, you know. I mean, you did some really weird stuff from a kid as well, from be- from a child. Yeah, he, I think he killed his grandmother, grandmother but, first, and then didn't want grandpa to, to be alone. Be alone. <laughs> yeah, and so then I then I I, I you know he isn't. He doesn't. He didn't come across as somebody who was vicious and angry and nasty. He was very placid, very polite when they interviewed him. When you listen to John Douglas talk about him, so polite, so normal, but edgy. He said there was just something edgy about him, and he's a big man. I mean, he could overpower you quite easily. Yeah. But I just yeah. find him not. I, I don't hate him. You know, I don't hate him the way that I would talking to somebody who was you know chris watt a, a pedophile oh yeah like chris watt somebody like chris Watts. i mean i don't hate chris watts but i just think he's an arsehole he just he's a waste of space i think and I, that's another thing like i hate the fact that he's allowed to have people write into him he's allowed to correspond with other humans he shouldn't be he ended the life of two innocent children and his wife he and shouldn't a, have any and rights. A third on the way and a yeah. baby and he yeah. knew the baby was there You know, there's no, how could you look at your own child with your own child next to them, kill that one child. And the next kid says to you, daddy, I don't want that to happen to me. How the hell do you have got to be heartless? That's cold. That is cold. That's a defenseless child. There's nothing, no words for that. I want to go back to something you said a little bit earlier, Morgan, you were talking about uh, um, a victim who was, marginalized because oh, drug yeah. addict and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Somebody, when I was looking into a case called, uh, her, the victim is Amanda Winkowski. She was a heroin addict and a prostitute. Right. And I was told very early on that by somebody who had been working on the case for years, that the people who are, who live on the margins of, the, of society, when something really bad happens to them, they're the ones that get marginalized. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right now. Um, so, that leads me to my question is it does seem like there is a big portion of victims in these violent crimes that are quote unquote high risk, right? They're yes. categorized high risk by police. You know, they are prostitutes. They are uh, drug addicts. They, you know, uh, 
oftentimes they're in deep poverty. There's a lot of these things that, that make them high risk. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there are also the other part of that question is they tend to be women in, in those, in those cases. And I know that statistically speaking, men typically are the ones that are more likely to be victims of violent crime, but it does seem in that high risk category, they're going to be women. And it does also seem to me that within our genre uh, in podcasting, YouTubing and so forth, we do focus on female victims and we tend, they, they tend to be cookie cutter. They're white, they're blonde, they're beautiful. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're, (laughs) you know, they're not a minority. I've already said that they're not drug addicts and stuff. I mean, why do you think we are drawn? Cause I am like, I, I recognize my biases as people send me cases to look at. I, I recognize the moment where I, where a bias in me has said yes or no to the case. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you guys experience that same thing? I'm the, comp- I think I'm the complete opposite. I would take a marginalized person over the blonde pretty white female yep i would purposefully choose a case where people aren't going to be helping with that case so i would purposefully choose a a a case of a sex worker or a case of a drug addict because i feel like they don't get that chance when they're alive and so my job now that they're not here is to give them a chance and give them a voice i have a a good thought on, on why in our genre, it is the pretty white blonde woman that we we cover a lot, and that's the fact that those are the cases that get that that get the attention that we have the most information on. Yeah, right. Yeah. So in our mm. in what we do with podcasting or with you, you know, with your YouTube, we're telling a story. We can only tell a story with on cases where there's there's information to give. Mm. So I think a lot of times these marginal, marginalized cases, people aren't doing deep dives into them. So we can only do so much investigation on our, ourselves. So when there's not the 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 there, when there are not good sources on the cases, it's hard to do. It's hard to, to talk about because mm. you can't just do a bunch of speculation. You can't have an hour of speculation. You need to have some facts to dive into. And so a lot of times these marginalized cases, they have been for years, have been overlooked. And it's it's tough to do them now because information has been lost. Information was never gathered. Well, sometimes uh, I think on those marginalized people, like there was a case that I looked at and I even covered on YouTube briefly as best I possibly could. It was, mm-hmm. a, it was a black woman in Niagara Falls, New York that just disappeared and it seemed like nobody cared. Mm. And yeah. her badly decomposed body was found you know, a couple months later. Um, when I did my freedom of information law request in the state of New York to get the, get all the records on the case, it was like four pages. Mm. Yeah. Like, There's so it's not, that. it's not only like our fault that we're interested only in the white, you mm. know, yeah. you know, beautiful ones, but also like, they're not, they did not investigate this properly, exactly. probably because of the biases that they yeah, had in the police definitely. department. Yeah, definitely. I had one um, one case. It was a, a prostitute back in the 80s. And this thing, too, 
as soon as you say the word prostitute, there's always these assumptions about the person, right? Mm. Uh, but the fact is, this person had had escaped, you know, an abusive situation with the last of her dollars, got on a bus, went to California, had really no other choice but to, you know, to it's get into profession, isn't it? That's right. It's right? an age old profession. And so she ends up murdered and I'm pretty sure it was a police officer that was involved and and because of the police officer and the what the police officer did, he was involved in vice, there was really there was no investigation really into it. It was like, oh, it's prostitute. She probably was killed by a John. It happens. So it happens. Yeah. That's, and that's exactly the attitude. It happens. It's just and the, like only, and the only reason I was able to cover the case and talk about it is because she had a cousin who was like, you know what, this is not right. And I'm gonna dive into it. I'm gonna get information. And she she became basically a a one team detective force and found out all this information. But if it wasn't for her, this would have been another case where it was just like, oh, just a prostitute was killed, brought and dumped in the desert. Mm. But it's not even just marginalized. Here's the thing, too. We talk about we're saying marginalized and what you know, we think prostitution, we think drugs, but it's not just prostitution and drugs where where we have marginalized cases. You have cases um, of indigenous women who they're they're marginalized just for the fact mm-hmm. that they're indigenous and they're living on a reservation. The reservation system is is horrible. And again, it's it's the lack of information. I mean, trying to get information to look into something like that is really difficult because you're mm-hmm. not only dealing with the the this side of the law, you're also dealing with the reservation law. And nobody wants to talk. Nobody wants to help you. Nobody wants to give you information. Sometimes it's very difficult to get information. Um, we, you know, as in England, it's very, very difficult to get any kind of information from authorities and police. Really difficult. I got more information on the cases that I covered that I did US cases. And the police were absolutely amazing. They sent me all the case files, autopsy files, autopsy photos, crime scene photos. And they sent everything over in an email all i had to do was prove my identity and they sent everything to me in england they won't even talk to you on the phone <laughs> you you can't even get hold of anybody to explain what you're doing and why you're doing it it's very difficult mm-hmm. it's more a who you know in england before you can get information as you know you need to know people to get certain information so yeah. it's difficult it's very difficult and i, was so I think people do it because it's easy because it's you get it the cases where it's widespread media cases all the information's there you just, you know, you just talk about it because it's already done for you, which is why we like to do cases where it's not, because I'd like to help people that are seemingly forgotten about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's insane. Like, I think I told, uh, just jumping back to reservations real quick, and I told Cherry on one of my cases that, and she was found this shocking, the fact that if a white man were to go on a reservation and kill a indigenous woman, the reservation police cannot prosecute that man. But if a indigenous man leaves you're a not a citizen of the res. Yeah. Mm. But if you're if you're a citizen of the of a reservation, you leave the reservation, you kill a white woman, sure as hell, you can get prosecuted by mm. by the non reservation police. Dude, I've Bless been you. holding that sneeze back for Bless an hour. <laughs> Look, um, I have a little experience on this. Just go. I keep bringing up the same case, but it's just a fascinating case. The Amanda Winkowski case. Mm-hmm. She was living on the Tuscarora uh, Indian Reservation, Seneca Indians in New York. 
and the main person of interest was a member of the Tuscarora uh, Indian tribe. Yeah. So uh, I want there's a guy named Abin, Adam. Um, Adam. Right. I, I'm blanking right now. But anyway, so I wanted to go interview Adam. So I needed, this is around Buffalo, New York. So I'm up in Buffalo to talk to Amanda's mom to like attend something. And then I'm like, I'm going to go onto the reservation. I'm going to go see if I can talk with Adam. I knew his address, knew where he lived, the whole shebang. And from downtown Buffalo to get to the Tuscarora res, it's like 18, 20 minutes. And, mm-hmm. and the Tuscarora reservation is surrounded by the town of Lewiston, New York. It is a beautiful town. Like Lewiston is a donut. And then the Tuscarora reservation is the, is the donut hole. Right. Mm. Yeah. So you, you get into Lewiston and it's this beautiful kind of high end town right along the Niagara river in upstate New York. And then you drive onto the reservation. And I personally have lived in a third world country it was like driving straight into a third world country. The wow. moment yeah. you pass the sign that said, welcome to the Tuscarora Indian reservation, you were in another nation. Wow. And it was sad. It was poor. It was, um, it was dangerous. Right. So mm. I, I got into the res maybe like three or four minutes before I was like, I don't feel I'm safe here. Yeah. I'm gone. And I left, and by the time I got to the edge of the reservation, there was a police car there. He put on his lights. It was the chief of police of Lewiston who said he had gotten three calls that a white man was driving around the reservation. No way. Kid you not. That's crazy. Kid you not. That is crazy. But I was taught, I ended up befriending him, uh, Chief Previtt. He was one of the ones who first. you know, investigated Amanda Winkowski's disappearance. And oh, so wow. he had to leave Lewiston, go onto the reservation. And they, they like, it was the middle of the winter. They had infrared helicopters going over. They were, you know, questioning everybody. Everybody was pl- saying, I'm not going to talk to you. I'm, I'm a part of this nation, not yours. It was, that's crazy. It was a real, uh, that is crazy. crazy fascinates me. We don't have that here. And it just fascinates me how people were so unwilling to help. That's crazy. Yeah. It was, it's an interesting case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, we've been at it for a while. Thanks for joining me guys. Oh, thanks Uh, for having us. It's been really lovely. I really appreciate you. Uh, when I reached out and said, I have this idea, you're like, I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Morgan cherry did it on your behalf. (laughs) (laughs) I know him. I knew he'd be in. (laughs) Thank you again for joining me for today's conversation with Crimepedia hosts, Cherry and Morgan. I hope you enjoyed our little chat. And remember, you can find Crimepedia anywhere you listen to podcasts or visit them on their website, crimepediapodcast.com. You can find me on YouTube. Just search Gavin Fish, or you can visit me on my website, GavinFish.com. The website is chock full of investigation files on the cases I'm working on. And if there's a podcast you want me to know about and feature on the show, or if you know of a case you think I should look at for my YouTube channel, you can reach out to me there. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time on your favorite true crime podcast. Podcast.